Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. We are all struggling with a sleep technologist shortage. Sleep techs are retiring or leaving the field for other healthcare and non-healthcare positions. We also see fewer sleep technologist schools and graduates. Here to talk to us today about sleep technologist education are Karen Rowe, Debbie Guerrero, and Dr. Brad Vaughn, who are part of the COA PSG program. Debbie Guerrero is the program coordinator for the KHEP accredited sleep technology program at Moraine Valley Community College and the current chair of the Committee on Accreditation for Polysomnographic Technologist Education, or COAPSG. Karen Monarchy Rowe is the executive director of COAPSG. She also started an associate degree program at a community college and had it KHEP accredited. Dr. Vaughn is currently a professor of neurology, biomedical engineering, and allied health sciences at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. He is medical director for the COA PSG. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. So Karen, what exactly is the COA PSG? Is this a sleep tech school? No, it is not. Um, I think it's a little important to understand exactly what we are, who we are and what we do, as there are so many people and other organizations that truly do not understand it. The COAPSG, as we refer to ourselves, is, is actually an independent organization. So our purpose is to, so what do we do? The purpose is to serve as a resource to educational institutions seeking KHEP accreditations. Okay. Uh, each allied health field, and in our case, polysomnography, these schools must go through the appropriate program, programmatic committee, which for us, of course, is polysomnography uh, technology. So exactly what do we do? Once a school comes to us, and when I say a school, we're talking about higher education, Mm. community colleges, universities, uh, wanting to put this program into their school. Uh, They make their appropriate application and administrative work. So after all of that is done, we actually review a program's uh, self-studies, which, and that is exactly what it is, a self-study. A program is reviewing itself to mm. make sure that all of their documents, their uh, school requirements, curriculum, resource assessments, outcomes, it's a combined huge document that tells us exactly who they are, what they're doing, and how they're performing. Okay. So we review that. And once we feel that this review has been met satisfactorily to meet the standards and guidelines, we coordinate a site visit, which we have site visitors, uh, as many of you are probably familiar with, just as in the case of a lab, that will review the school question by question, person by person in each aspect of the program. And they, they will serve as the program's main contact throughout this whole review process. Hmm. After they gather all this information, they bring it back to the COAPSG board. And we go through the whole document, determining whether or not the school has met the standards. 
And if we feel that they have, we formulate a, an accreditation recommendation to be considered by the KHEP board of directors. Oh, that's interesting. So what exactly is KHEP? Committee on Accreditation for Allied Health Educational Programs. They're the actual accreditor. They're the leader in allied health programs, and they have been doing this since 1994. Oh, wow. They are the largest programmatic accreditor of the health sciences. Uh, Currently, they have approximately, because it's probably increased since I wrote this number down, (laughs) uh, around 25, 2,600 programs, and this is worldwide. Mm. They have approximately 1,370 institutions, and there's 32 accredited allied health sciences professions. Oh, wow. Just like the schools have to go through an accreditation process, so does KHEP. And KHEP is recognized by the Council for Higher Education Accreditation, and we commonly know it as CHIA. Okay. I think that's probably, I hope, I don't want to give you an overload on too much. I think that is the condensed version of who we are and who KHEP is. Well, that's helpful, though. I was initially thinking it was maybe, you know, for uh, like a sleep tech school, but it it really isn't. I mean, how many sleep technologist schools do we have across the country? We have currently for now, this is total institutions. We have 35 total institutions. However, we have 41 programs. And the reason for the discrepancy is some of these institutions run two programs. They have an associate degree and they also run a certificate. And these are college programs. These are college credits that these students can continue their education any level that they want to continue. Their their credits carry with them. They're not just useless Hmm. modular courses. Uh, These are actual college credit programs. So if they want to go to law school or medical school or something like that. Yes. Oh, that's very cool. Yes. Yeah. In fact, there's actually um, ways they can advance their degrees. So they can go on to get a bachelor's degree, or we have some graduates that go on for their master's or or doctorate. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Series of stair steps. So how then do you navigate the, the different requirements that there are from state to state? You think it might sound tricky, but it really isn't. Okay. First of all, the most important thing is we separate the educational standards from state requirements. First of all, in order to become a KHEP accredited school, they follow our standards and guidelines. And I'm sure, as you're well aware of, all the states have varying degrees of regulations. So our required curriculum is set up that all the schools must follow. Whatever their state requires, that in turn falls back to the school to make sure that if their students are to get employed in that particular state, then they add whatever is necessary. As we say, when we tell program directors to set up their courses and curriculums, you can always add to your courses, you can't Mm. take away. So you have this sort of core requirement that then they would tailor, you know, yes. they, they would add on it so that they would satisfy the, the sort of state-based regulatory aspects. But yes. the nice thing is that the, the COA PSG sets a, a single national standard mm. for that education. 
And, and I think that that's, that's really the key, right? So that no matter what program you're coming out of, that's a COA PSG approved and KHEB accredited program, there, there's going to be a, a certain standard that's met for mm. that educational program. So then if they relocate, so if you have a technologist from, you know, the East Coast that goes to the West Coast, you, you sort of have this, you're assured of their educational level. Right. And performance. Kind of think of it like, are you board certified? Mm-hmm. Right? That's a national standard, but you have a state licensure piece, right? Mm-hmm. And so here, you uh, the COA, COA PSG um, kind of helps set that national standard for what's the education piece. And, and then um, there are state by state individualities that will have to be met. Did you see a change in enrollment when we started doing more HSAT? I mean, did enrollment go down? Uh, we really didn't at the time that HSAT really picked up, uh, at least in, in my area and I, I believe nationally as well. Um, many of the applicants into sleep technology programs are fairly unaware of the field. Uh, unfortunately, I think that's one of the things that we need to change in, mm. in order to help get the word out that sleep technology is a great career so that we see more students entering our KHAP approved programs. Um, when HSTs came about in our area, in, in the Chicagoland area, some of the labs considered the implications and thought maybe that downsizing was going to be necessary, but I don't think that knowledge ever really got too much to applicants into programs. And programs didn't scale back their enrollment numbers intentionally in order to anticipate a downturn in the number of techs being required. Oh, so that's interesting. So you've still seen that um, fairly consistent demand then? Yes. For for techs, absolutely. Mm. Yes. And I think all of us are seeing that, right? It's harder to find techs, even though the number of schools keeps gradually increasing. Well, and that is something that we're all struggling with. You know, one of our colleagues, um, he had some of his senior technologists, they were actually hired away by Amazon, mm-hmm. you know, because you're talking about, well, you know, skilled, intelligent people that are good at logistics and good with people and they work overnights. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of competition for these well-trained, you know, colleagues of ours, our sleep technologists. And especially that, that they're they're familiar with dealing with technology, problem solving. Yes. They're, they make really good employees. And, and certainly we wanna make sure that we're able to attract them. Well, and I think that's the other part of it, right? That we need to, you know, really be thoughtful about this field. Like like you had said earlier that sleep technologists, this is a great field to go into for a career. And and do we need to really think about what that looks like in five years and 10 years and 15 years, right? You know, Brad, you talked about adding on to your education. Oh, you yeah. know, we know about the CCSH credential. You know, I think we're really trying to be thoughtful about our clinical practices and and how can we help our sleep technologists, right? What is there more stuff during the day that they can do with RPM or RTM monitoring or something like that? Or even just advancing how they how they feel in their career. Mm. What are their own aptitudes and and can they jump into to doing more, um, being either a greater expert at the technology or more specific populations that they mm-hmm. examine or, or study. 
So all of those are possibilities. So then what happened during COVID? I mean, did did you switch to virtual programs? I mean, are there virtual sleep technologist programs out there? Most definitely. Currently, we have seven. Mm. Um, there are definitely many schools that are interested in uh, creating more uh, programs online. Mm. And we also have a lot of programs that are hybrid. Uh, that seems to work very well also. But it is definitely growing. And I see it quite often that, yes, they, they do have an opportunity to be a student enrolled in one school, live someplace else, and be able to finish the program. Huh. So, Debbie, how do you tackle the hands-on clinical piece then for these programs? So it's it's not necessarily up to us, the COA, to handle that. Each school mm. needs to reach out to centers in their geographic area that they can send their students to. Um, we provide assistance as the COA. We provide assistance with helping schools de develop clinical objectives in a format for what to do with the students in the clinical setting. Um, and, and this could be problematic. A lot of schools are not very close to potential clinical sites. Um, we, we want all of our clinical sites to be accredited. We want our preceptors at those clinical sites to be our PSGT registered techs with experience. And we mm -hmm. certainly help with um, encouraging schools to promote that piece as it is essential in the overall education of our of our students. And if I can just circle back real quickly to your previous question regarding what yeah. happened during COVID. So as a program director during COVID in March of 2020, our program, as well as every other program, uh, went 100% virtual. So sleep labs closed down. So clinical uh, was was paused, and mm -hmm. all of our in-person classes and labs turned 100% virtual until each individual institution deemed it was okay to bring students back uh, on campus. Um, a couple of good things, I think, came out of that. We've learned that uh, we can do some things very efficiently and effectively in a, a virtual format. Um, we also, though, have seen quite the downturn in general since 2020 in terms of students coming into allied health and nursing programs across the board. So community colleges have suffered, four-year institutions have taken a, a downturn in enrollment as well. And at least where I'm at, our numbers are not anywhere close to back to where they used to be pre-COVID. So, you know, in addition to clinical sites perhaps being a barrier to increase enrollments, just student recruitment is a big issue for us right now. Getting, getting potential students the information that they need to make an informed choice on uh, considering sleep technology as a career is, is a kind of an ongoing battle for us. So what do you think we need to do to to demonstrate that? I have a few ideas in my head, one of which <laughs> one of which is so beyond my scope that I'm I probably am going to get yelled at for saying this, but I would love to see all of the sleep professional organizations work together to put out some type of PR campaign, whether it be a video, YouTube, uh, accessible uh, PR campaign for mm. sleep technology being a great field and being in demand and that there are uh, COA approved and KHEP accredited programs out there that uh, 
are, are looking to recruit the next generation of sleep techs from, from all of our point of views, right? Mm-hmm. The COA wants and needs to see more schools develop. The AASM certainly would probably like to see as many qualified techs out there available to meet the demand that, that we currently have on MET. Um, in the professional organizations, education-wise of the AAST, I think um, you know, the more techs we have, the stronger our organization, our profession, mm-hmm. I should say, would be. The COAPSG also provides uh, webinars for our program to directors to exchange their own ideas in how they do recruitment and retaining students. And we have found these to be very successful. They have come up with some wonderful, great ideas that they've been willing to share with all the other program directors uh, to help each of the schools uh, attain more students. So we have found that also to be quite helpful. I love that idea of of collaborative, a collaborative approach. Well, I would love to have more schools. You know, we don't have any in North Dakota and the one in South Dakota closed. So, you know, we we don't have anyone really close to where, where I practice. And I think it's interesting. I mean, out of that program directors forum, um, one of the things we found is is that finding clinical sites that are are willing and able to take these students is is actually one of the hardest things for them. And so there's there's great opportunity. It sounds like we we need to not only kind of chum the field to get more individuals into these programs, but also more associations with with labs that are willing and able to to train do the clinical training for these these technologists. Well, and then hopefully they they like the lab enough and they stay, right? Um, or they go out and they help train more sleep techniques. There you go. <laughs> An amplifying effect. So, Karen, how do the students perform on the RPSDT exam? A few years ago, one of our board members, uh, we sat down and manually went through what we have is called an annual report. And each school reports all their yearly statistics as to the number of students, how they're doing, and of course, their exam results. And based upon that, we did, uh, we went back several years and it pretty well averaged out to 85 to 88 percent, which we feel is a, that is, that's a good, good passing rate. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we have to keep in mind as we discussed is our way of accumulating and figuring the average may be different than the way BRPT would gather their information. So it's not going to be a complete 100% match as to the way that we do it. But we do go on what the program directors report. Uh, we we don't get the statistics at this time directly from BRPT. And if mm. statistics are available and they're supposed to be available in the future, they would report them to the schools directly, not to the COAPSG. Yeah. I think the, the big bottom line, though, is that it from all the information we get, the, these graduates are, are doing well on the exam. So I think that's the big key. Mm-hmm. So let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about the COAPSG program. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Contribute to the future of sleep scoring 
by participating in Sleep ISR Record Rewards. Submitted sleep studies will be used to build a diverse catalog to evaluate artificial intelligence sleep scoring software. Labs that submit records can earn points redeemable for rewards. Learn more at sleepisr.org. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. Our guests today are Karen Rowe, Debbie Guerrero, and Dr. Brad Vaughn, and we're talking about sleep technologist education and the COA PSG program. So, Brad, do you see the COA PSG program as another hurdle, or is this something that will help us get more sleep technologists into the field? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I actually view this as a as a major resource. You know, you can imagine um, prior to the COA, anybody who was doing sleep tech training, it was it was all over the map, right? There were mm. from weekend wonders to uh, to people who were trying to to get in a an associate degree. And and I think the benefit of having the COA around is that we can at least say, okay, this is the, the educational standard that we need to meet. Um, and the COA in, is a resource for those programs to get there. So um, I view it as, as one of those things, much like accreditation of a sleep lab. It's not as much of a hurdle as it is trying to help attain that lab at a, at a certain level. Huh. So is this all about developing those bedside sleep technologists or do you see, you know, you, you kind of said earlier that there are other opportunities to maybe specialize and select patients, for example, or developed, you know, expertise with a certain technologist. But do you also see them transitioning into management or maybe research? Those are, that's another great question. I, I think in general, when you're talking about a career as opposed to a job, you, you want to be able to have that career have, have steps in the development, right? You don't want to just be, oh, I've finished my degree and now I'm at the same job for the next 30 or 35 years. Um, and we want to keep those people in the, in the supply line, in the, in the discipline. So you see there are ways to actually develop your sleep technologist. I, I would say I have a really, really strong core of sleep technologists that have worked with me for, for well over 20, 25 years. And I think one of the keys about that is that they're always getting challenged. Um, whether they come in and do some research project or present mm -hmm. at a national meeting or they're doing education, we certainly have a fair number of people that, that go on to managing labs. Um, you can also see avenues for them to, to go into, say, a bachelor's degree um, or on up to a master's degree or, or even a doctorate. Um, the, we have actually here at UNC a, a bachelor's degree in neurodiagnostics and sleep science. And, and you basically hit the, the three major reasons that, that our graduates are, are in there. They're either mm -hmm. going into innovation and research, they're going to go into management, or they're going to go into um, some form of education. So, so I think there's, there's lots of ways to make that ladder work. Um, and but key is is keeping keeping your your technologists actively engaged in career development. Well, and I think that's such an important point, right? I mean, working nights is is tough, and it may be great when you're in your twenties, <laughs> but then you know life happens, and you know some people have children, and some people want to transition to to day jobs, and so I love that you're being thoughtful about what that you know 
what that whole career path looks like. Um, one question I've been asking lately of, of some of my colleagues is if you had a family member that said, hey, I want to become a sleep technologist, what would you tell them? Mm. Well, first, I would want to know, is this her passion, mm. right? You know, is this just a passing fancy or is this a passion? And because certainly I think, you know, the the field of sleep has so many wonderful components. Um, and in general, I want people to to have it as a passion because if it's going to be a passion, then it's not really work, right? It mm -hmm. is, it's, it's something you love to do. Um, I think sleep technology is a phenomenal field. I think it's, it's certainly one of those components that you can influence thousands of people's lives and make a major impact on, on a society. So, um, you, if they're interested in it, I'd want them to get a little more information and make sure that it all fits well. Um, but, uh, if those are all, all a go, then absolutely jump in. Debbie, what would you tell your family member? I was just going to say as a tech, I would echo what Brad said. Exactly. Um, I'm, as a teacher of sleep, mm. I want to make sure that the students do know what they're getting into, that they at least consider their willingness and ability to work the night shift and to understand the nature of the job while they are there at night. But, you know, as I've been in sleep for 30 some years and every time I look at a sleep study, there's always something new, different, interesting, mm -hmm. um, exciting happening. And I I would absolutely encourage a friend or family member to get into the field if they are interested and, and as Brad said, have a passion for for this field, at least an initial passion, because they don't really know exactly what they're getting into until they get into <laughs> it. Uh, none of us ever do, right? True. But, um, you know, I kind of consider my students at my school a little bit like my kids, and I want them to love the field as much as I do. And I try to bring that motivation and enthusiasm with me into the classroom. And if students just aren't feeling it, if they get to their first clinical semester and say, boy, I, I didn't know we would sit this long, or I don't mm. think I could look at a computer screen, or um, this isn't exciting enough, right? I wanted blood and guts and to run to a scene and save a life. Um, then I, I certainly don't encourage them to stay in because we want folks in our field who really want to be there. But yeah, that was the long answer to yes, I would certainly <laughs> encourage a family member to go into sleep. Well, but it's encouraging to hear that. You know, I think we've we've seen so many threats to our field, right? You know, there's more, you know, we shifted more to home sleep apnea testing. And now, you know, consumer sleep technology is always sort of looming in the horizon. And so, you know, it's lovely to to hear that you've got this positive outlook for our field. Oh my gosh. And in my area, the the job market is awesome right now. There are several labs that are affiliated with my uh, school's program that have seven, eight full-time un uh, open unfilled positions, That mm -hmm. uh, particularly on day shift, which is interesting. A lot of night techs don't want to transition to days. Mm -hmm. um, it's just a, a different job. So there's I'm not seeing a slowdown in my area. It, it's quite the opposite. So even with HSAT, even with the technology, even with the AI, we haven't seen the impact yet here. Certainly, we need to keep our finger on that uh, to make sure that it's 
we respond if there is a downturn in the number of techs needed, but it's just not happening in my area yet. So what do you think needs to happen then to increase our supply? You know, we kind of touched on um, awareness of this field. What else? I think awareness, though, is is a big component to figuring out the entry point, right? And and certainly, you know, those of us in the in the field, the clinical field, have opportunities to go in and speak at high school classes, um, go and give public forums, not only just to talk about sleep disorders, but also to talk about sleep as a field. Um, you know, the I can certainly know where I've gone and talked to to high school classes. Um, it's it's pretty impressive how often one of the students will come up or two of the students will come up later and ask, oh, how do I get involved in this? Or how can I come see the lab um, and and see what what this is really about? And that's how you start to generate that piece and mentoring, um, ent- mentoring potential candidates to come into the the field of sleep. You know, hosting an open an open forum at the lab to to bring people who might be interested might also be a, another way to to get people involved. It's just it's that initial hook, right, that we have to have to increase. And then once we have those people have that initial interest. How do you maintain that interest, right? How do you how do you help mentor them while they're in the the education process and and even after the education process, right? Because it's it's in general it's it's much harder to replace somebody than it is to keep them in the field. Mm-hmm. And no, that's very true. You know, you were you were just saying about the 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 your colleagues texts going to Amazon. Well, geez, you know, I bet you having reached out, having something else to help them stay, stay invested in sleep may very well be a, an important piece to keeping, keeping people in the field. Well, and I love that you approach it sort of multi-level. You know, we'd met, we'd talked about this collaborative approach, um, sort of public awareness, right. With the, the various organizations, but you're doing this one-on-one, <laughs> you know, going out to the high schools and, and, you know, do we or, need to have more boots on the ground? Them, right. <laughs> 30, 30 <laughs> high school students in a class and you, yeah, you have a sit and chat and tell them about sleep or you go on out and doing a public forum where you may have, you know, anywhere from just a few people to mm-hmm. a couple hundred people show up and talk about sleep and, and that generates the conversation. So, so if somebody is interested in hosting Coway PSG students at their facility for some hands-on experience, who should they call? Yeah, probably one of two ways. One, um, if you have a lab and you're you're interested in hosting, look to see if there's a program, um, a KHEB accredited program in your area. So going on the KHEB website or asking the, the local community college, do you have a program? Um, if you're unable to figure it out, call uh, call us at the COA, and we can tell you who's who's uh, located closest to you. You know, the, un- the unfortunate part is that there's over 20 states without a single mm-hmm. program in them. And so, you know, if you're, if you're really interested and you were talking to the community college system, uh, which is the most common system to have one of these, these programs, um, you can also talk about the need. Uh, if they don't have one, maybe they start one. Maybe you put, help 
take and, and, and put the resources in and get them interested in, in starting a, a, a program. There are multiple levels of, of doing this, but, um, you know, I think that the, the first step is, is seeing who's closest to you. Mm-hmm. And if there's nobody there, well, it's not a, not a bad idea to roll up your sleeves and start working <laughs> with the community college group. So. so how can we, as a sleep community, support our sleep tech colleagues better? I think one of the most important things is explaining to them just pretty much what Debbie and and Brad said, that it's not just being a sleep tech. It opens up the door to many avenues and encouraging them to continue their education and to find the different avenues that they can go into to use their expertise. with their background of sleep technology to do different things, whether it's to teach. And that would be one of the biggest uh, things that could help is to encourage the technologists to go on to become teachers, to Mm -hmm. go to the community colleges, uh, to get out, to be more active in their social organizations, uh, have their voices heard and encourage more schools to set up these programs. And I think I think employers need to remind techs, particularly nighttime techs, of the importance of their role. It's not mm-hmm. just producing a good quality, clean PSG. It's so much more than that. Um, they they need to realize that they're on the front lines of providing education, motivation, and encouragement to patients who may be facing uh, a lifetime of positive airway pressure therapy that they have no desire to even think about at the point of their initial sleep test. So I think reminding techs of of the importance of their role is going to help with job satisfaction and a sense of their belonging to a bigger community than just being someone who provides a test to a patient. Well, and that's, you've hit on something so important, you know, at at our organization, every, you know, sleep technologist awareness or appreciation week, you know, we kind of have this week of, of sort of celebrating. Right. Mm -hmm. And the final thing that goes out on the Friday is, is some, is a letter. And I've done this for like more than a decade, but it really is this idea that, you know, our sleep technologists are our patient advocates, right? And they are the resource. And oftentimes our patients reveal something to them that maybe they they haven't brought up in clinic, right? And, and those notes are so helpful. And I always just emphasize that I could not do my job without our sleep technologists. You know, they are such an integral part of our team. And, and I think it is, you know, medicine is a team sport. And we do need to be able to work together and have you know, confidence and faith. Like I have faith in our technologists, right? I, I know that they're always, you know, going to do what they feel is right for that patient in front of them and advocate for that patient. And, you know, it's not uncommon. I'll get an email saying, hey, by the way, <laughs> did you know so-and-so, you know, drinks like four Mountain Dews before he goes to bed or, you know, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and so they're just such an important part of our team. You're exactly right. Yeah. I think that the other piece is most of, of, what helps people stay in a career is the human relationship. It's that mm-hmm. connection, right? And and our sleep techs provide that valuable connection with our patients, but we also need to make sure that we're 
creating that valuable connection with our techs. Absolutely. Um, and, and investing in them. I mean, I think we're all obligated uh, to, to help them in a sense of trying to figure out how, how do we keep expanding um, their interests and their, their dedication to the, to the field. Well, and I think so many of us, right? Like I, I, it was a technologist that taught me how to do a, a blood gas and how to intubate. <laughs> and, you know, all of these, you know, they held my hand plenty when I was in training and it's just such a cohesive unit. One of the things I would say to the sleep technologists, it's a little bit of uh, self-fulfilling and makes them feel better also is if they have the opportunity to, as we've said before, go out into the community. And when I say go out into the community, if the sleep labs reach out to say their city officials, county officials, whatever, their shift worker groups, the policemen, the firemen, just all the different divisions and do some basic education on sleep mm -hmm. education. And I think the sleep labs will find out that they do a great job of going out and communicating the different sleep disorders and many of these people that would have never thought about going to see their physician will go to see their physician and uh, you might have more patients than you can handle. <laughs> um, but they're actually very, I found out that they're actually very interested. They will ask the sleep techs question after question after question about sleep. So Karen, any final thoughts? We need, we definitely need more schools. There's no question about it. Uh, the Midwest is is hurting the most. Uh, I was just kind of browsing the map to see mm -hmm. where most of the schools were. Um, we have them on the West Coast. We have them on the East Coast. We have them on the South, in the South. Uh, but the Midwest is, is hurting for schools. And uh, I think reaching the school administrators and the school's board of trustees and getting the education to them is paramount in getting mm -hmm. these programs put into schools. Debbie, any final thoughts? Uh, echoing on what Karen just said, as a community college employee, I know our community college is very much in tune with our stakeholders. So if, if a large employer in our area were to come to our administration and say, we need more qualified employees in area X in sleep technology. And we're, we're willing to at least lay some groundwork with you all to start a program up. Um, the, the college would be extremely uh, open to that. That's part of our mission of who we are and why we exist. So I would like to think if in North Dakota, you could approach your local community college with a case for why having a sleep technology program would be beneficial to the community, that's a potential start. And Brad, how about you? Final thoughts? Oh, yeah. You know, all of us try to just survive day to day, right, <laughs> in the, the fact of the endless patient list and and trying to fill our slots and keep things rolling in the lab but but I really do think that that for us in this field we all have an obligation to help sustain the field and in thinking through that means we have to figure out how are we going to help keep the field going in the next 5 10 20 years and and for that we really have to invest 
um, all of us have to invest. And, and part of that is investing in, in bringing new people into the field at, at the variety of levels that we need. Um, so not only sleep technologies, but you know, other individuals too. And, and I think that this is where you know, it, it gives us the opportunity to create and, and build these, these moments and dimensions for, for people to enter the field as sleep technologists or, or in other ways. Um, and I think that that in itself not only gets us off of the day-to-day grind of every patient, but it opens up new dimensions that, that we will find rewarding. Uh, I certainly have found rewarding. So, so I, I'd encourage everybody to, to think about how they can, they can step up to the plate and really help sustain the field. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today about sleep technologist education and the CoAPSG program. This is certainly a hot topic given the widespread shortage of qualified sleep technologists throughout the country. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. This has been a great opportunity. Thanks for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.